Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! The second floor of the AC building at Bethel University. Break the glass. It's an emergency EST podcast. Woo, woo, woo. I was gonna do a siren sound, but you beat me to it. There we go. That was nice. That was a that was a very British nineteen uh, seventies police car, which was politely asking us to pull over. Yes, we're. Politely I was born in the nineteen seventies. Stop what you're doing, just barely. And uh, and uh, we've got some breaking political news here. It seems like every day there's something, but it's not every day that the Speaker of the House announces that they're not going to seek re-election. Guys, what is going on? <laughs> uh, I think that's the question that pretty much everybody in, is, is asking. I mean, on the one hand, this is sort of like uh, this. It's it's huge news. I mean, I I, I would describe this as, um, mm-hmm. you know, this 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 will probably be one of the top, um, you know, top, one of the top ten probably stories of this of this year to some degree. Oh, give it time. Um, we haven't fought war with Russia. I, I, <laughs> I know, I know, and that's so. Oh, I, so, man, so, it's so, Trump. So, it's Trump. So, so I say that tentatively, <laughs> um, but this is a pretty big um, moment uh, for yeah, the for is. the house. Uh, and, on, uh, on a scale of on a scale of one to ten, how surprised were you when you heard this? Well, this well, this is the whole thing that I was getting to. Despite the fact that this is a huge piece of news, everybody has seen this coming for a long time. Yeah, really. So Politico yeah. actually ran a, a long biography. If you want to read an excellent um, biography of Paul Ryan and his history and politics, Politico actually did a huge story on him last um, last summer. And at the end of that story, basically, the author says that he thinks Paul Ryan's going to retire before the next election. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so this has been seen for a long time. Um, Paul Ryan has essentially been um, somebody who's who's been he's been known to be very unhappy in his position. And the election of Trump has made him even more that much more unhappier. (laughs) so I think so. So, in, so, so to some degree, is it surprising? No. On the one hand, no. it's not surprising. This has no. been this has been something that's been coming for a long time. Um, on the other hand, is it surprising just in terms of the objective nature of what has just happened? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very surprising that somebody who's essentially in the prime of life, um, right. Brian, is only forty eight, um, if I remember correctly, and uh, he's somebody who is at the height of power. He's essentially achieved, uh, aside from being president, Speaker of the House is about mm-hmm. as high as you can go in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's somebody who is, while he faces certain criticisms, is still relatively rel- well respected, um, particularly inside his own party. Yeah, right. particularly among Republicans, he is still seen. And in fact, you know, if you think about six years ago when he was, uh, or sorry, more than at this point, eight years ago when mm-hmm. he was running mm-hmm. for vice president, I mean, he was seen as essentially the heir apparent. Um, as the Republican standard bearer. I mean, he, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. generally understood that if he wanted to be president, he could be president mm-hmm. um, just because you know, he was, he was seen as that, as that high level of a person. And now, you know, here we are eight years later and he's actually retiring to at least right now, um, a life of obscurity in terms of politics. I mean, who mm-hmm. knows what he'll actually end up doing, but you know, right now he doesn't seem to, it's not like he's retiring to go and become Senator or right. governor or right. something like that. So who are the most successful people post speaker of the house i mean has that ever is that john boehner just joined a group for a, a pro marijuana group okay <laughs> it, was a, it was a funny pairing of stories to have like paul ryan's retiring and john boehner is promoting marijuana right <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> it was a wild day for speakers. I mean, um, yeah. the short answer, I guess, historically is one Speaker of the House has, in fact, risen to become president. Okay. That was James K. Polk. Yeah. He was very briefly Speaker of the House. Um, Henry Clay was a tremendously su- successful Speaker of the House who then became a tremendously influential senator, also served as Secretary yeah. of State, and tried very hard to become president without succeeding. Um, so those are a couple that kind of come to mind. Yeah. Um, there are a number of speakers who themselves have gotten in the office and been tremendously powerful for a tremendously long sure. period of time. I mean, right. I would probably point out like Joe Cannon in the late 18th and early 19th, or, sorry, late 19th, early 20th century, and then um, Sam Rayburn in the middle of the yep. 20th century as two of the, the kind of shining stars in that regard. Yep. But I mean, speaker is a destination job. I mean, like most right. people who become speaker like that's the kind of culmination of their career that's the first right. line and, yeah and it's unusual like to get to be speaker at 45 as ryan did mm-hmm. um and it would it's even it's almost unheard of in the modern years it is unheard of to retire from that job voluntarily at 48 probably the yeah. only speaker in in recent memory whose notoriety has exceeded their speakership is newt gingrich yeah 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 and newt gingrich was actually not that successful of, of a speaker Mm. But has remained relevant on the international right. pl- uh, or the national political stage. Right. I mean, yeah. Dennis Hastert's in jail, right? Dennis Hastert's in, so, uh, he's that in didn't jail. Work out. Nancy Pelosi continues to lead the Democrats in the House. She's mm-hmm. quite um, old, but she's still doing that. Um, and those are the most recent speakers prior to <laughs> the aforementioned Boehner. Yeah. Yep. So all that is to say, and I think that's a great way to sort of frame thinking about the just historic significance of this. This is why mm-hmm. I say, you know, this mm-hmm. is. Perhaps, you know, this is probably, if nothing else, I mean, despite everything that's going on with Syria and et cetera, right, this will still probably be one of the top 10 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, moments for this year. Um, so. Okay, so, Mitch, here's my question for that then. Why now? Yeah. That, that is an excellent question. I think a number of people have asked that. And in fact, Ryan himself addressed that in his remarks when he retired. Because um, basically the way that the Republicans in general, right, the Republicans in Congress, maybe I should back up for a second. So, um, Chris, you were encouraging me to focus on the political science side of this. So um, one of the things to... There'll be plenty of pundits who have pundity things to say about right, Ryan. But right, right. In, in this early stage of this story... Our, our goal, if we have one, is to figure out, can political science tell us anything about right. this? Yeah. So one of the key things um, when, when, when you're looking at Congress, and this is what I mm-hmm. always try to emphasize to my students, and if any of them are listening. That's right. <laughs> um, one of the main I things. I tell my students tell us that they listen to the most recent Aww. podcast. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, so at any rate, uh, one of the most basic things about Congress, one of the things to always keep in mind is that Congress people have, uh, as, as, as Mayhew uh, uh argued and has been generally confirmed and by political science mm-hmm. since him in the 1970s is that Congress member Congress Congress members behavior can often be um, understood if you just think of them as single-minded re-election seekers yep mm-hmm. so basically the single goal for all Congress people is just the next election how can they yep. get re-elected yep. and so when we look at that right one of the th- one of the big mysteries then that sort of throws into sharp focus of the why now question because oftentimes what Congress people will what 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 what, what Congress people wanted Paul Ryan to do even if he wanted to retire is to go ahead and run for re-election this time around mm-hmm. and then retire as soon as he had won that election and the next Congress had started um, and essentially what that would have done would have made him a much more powerful figure in terms of both rallying Republicans and also in terms of fundraising mm-hmm. so Paul Ryan has been an enormously uh, successful fundraiser as most House speakers have been right. in the recent years, right. um, but he's been an enormously successful fundraiser. And if he's a lame duck, if he's somebody that people know isn't aren't isn't going to come right. back, it's much. It just becomes much less of a you know. If you're somebody with millions of dollars and you want to mm-hmm. have some kind of cool experience meeting powerful people, and you know, 
while you throw money at them. It's much less cool if yeah. you show up and say, oh, this is the guy who's the has-been, who has been the speaker, mm-hmm. um, but who isn't going to be right. after this. So um, his fundraising power will probably decline as a result. And so Republicans are pretty worried about that. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's especially concerning for Republicans in Congress, since they're already worried about losing, potentially losing quite a few seats in the House and yep. potentially the majority in the House. Yeah. So Paul Ryan's retirement at this moment um, seems particularly uh, worrisome in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Ryan's own stated reason for this um, is that he basically felt like that was dishonest. Right. Um, he felt like running for re-election with the intention of retiring as soon as he was re-elected um, was, some, was something that, uh, that, that, that he just couldn't do. Um, but what this does, I think, is, is, it sh- is it gives us a couple of things to think about. I think on the one hand, um, it does let us know something about, it, it, it reveals, for one thing, in terms of political science, it reveals that the idea of re-election only goes so far as the person wants to be re-elected. Right. As soon as they no longer want to be re-elected, those incentives go away, and the behavior of Congress people becomes much more um, along the lines of what they want to do. Right. And we can see that in Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan is essentially saying, I'm now doing what I want to do. And yeah, yeah. what I want to do is not run for re-election. Right. Um, and it's worth noting here, I mean, it's not like he was in particular danger, right? I mean, he certainly right. was in no real danger of losing his House seat. I mean, he had, they've done polling. Would a generic Republican be in danger of losing that seat? I see some speculation about that. I mean, I'm skeptical, um, given the margins that Ryan usually wins it by. But sure, if it's a wave of Democratic year and the Republicans nominate a eh, candidate or a bad candidate... Um, so he Democrats might be getting out early A-level. enough to get a decent candidate. Yeah, but but I mean, like, so the bottom line is, like, Ryan was in no real danger of losing his seat by any means. He was in all very little danger, in my opinion, of losing the um, speakership, or at least of losing the leadership of the Republicans. He might lose the speakership if they lose the majority. So, you know, it, it, this like so one of the explanations for why people retire is that they might lose, right? I mean, like sure. you know, Jeff Jeff Flake in Arizona, right? He's I mean, like lose. he retired because he was probably going to get beaten, right? Um, so, you know, that's that's one reason to retire. But that that's not what's driving Ryan here. And I agree. I mean, the timing is really interesting. Like, I mean, like because there have been stories. I mean, there was a story right after the tax bill passed that was speculating that he would do that, you know, sort of run for reelection and then quit. Um, and so that's been kind of an open secret that he would probably be, be gone. Um, but the timing is interesting. And I, I just I guess what I'm wondering, maybe I don't know if Mitch, you have a thought on this, but. Is this in any way connected to the rest of the week in politics, um, <laughs> which is to say um, Trump's personal lawyer getting his uh, office, um, you know, searched pretty thoroughly. And then Trump's sort of agitating about the possibility of firing um, special investigator Mueller. Yeah. So I think um, I, so. So essentially there are um, two or three major stories, I think, mm-hmm. there are sort of mm-hmm. stories that people are telling that they think might be the under the radar or the behind the scenes reasons for this. Um, the one reason is to say uh, that essentially Paul Ryan has essentially decided he can't accomplish anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, that essentially his his legacy is set, and he feels and he's it's is essentially saying that Paul Ryan is sort of throwing his hands up and giving up, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even kind of tell that once again if you go back and look at his speech that he made. Yep. He said he's immensely proud of all the accomplishments he made, and he specifically cited two of them. One of them was the tax cut that they right. just passed last year, mm-hmm. and the other one uh, was, uh, as he described it, rebuilding the military. Um, so essentially, mm. all. That's of, an- Odd choice. It's a very odd choice. Yes. And part of the reason that this that this story gets life then to say that he's sort of giving up is to say those aren't particularly enormous accomplishments. Yep. Um, those are actually f- relatively limited accomplishments. I mean, especially when you especially th- think about sequestration. 
Right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So 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 when we look at these, um, you know, it looks like it looks like Paul Ryan is really kind of having to retreat. I mean, you think about yeah. the, and especially when you think about Paul Ryan's earlier um, political career, what he was seen and what he was celebrated for was for being somebody who was really willing and able to sort of tackle the hard financial right. problems that America faced. Mm-hmm. Um, he was somebody who was celebrated again, whether you agree with it or not. Right. He was celebrated as somebody who was willing to think seriously about entitlement reform, think seriously about trimming down America's um, spending in a yep. number of different areas, yep. and somebody who was touted as having sort of the 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 chops, you know, the yep. the policy chops to yep. actually pull this off. Um, And then to sort of basically see these sort of grand visions of, you know, reforming America's largest expenditures. If we think about Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, et cetera. I mean, those are where most of the money goes um, to be sort of reduced to saying, well, I got a tax cut and I rebuilt some of the military is really a pretty stark and startling retreat. um, Mm -hmm. If you want to think about sort of major accomplishments. And I think that's I'll just interject. I think that's right. And I think. You know, like he he had said he wanted to tackle entitlements this year, right? It yeah. has not happened, and here we are, you know, almost to mid-April, right, with a midterm election coming up, and that I mean that concession reality is probably correct. Like I mean, mm-hmm. political science and literature also shows us like, you know, like wh- when do you get things done, right? You get them done early in Congress terms. Yeah. You do not get them on the eve of the election, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if there's a national crisis and we have something big where we have to you know pass a bill, sure, okay, maybe, but but reforming Social Security, Medicare, not happening. And, you know, you're not beginning that effort in April of an election year. That's no. just not even, uh, you know, that's a non-starter. And I think Ryan, you know, he's been around. He's been there for almost two decades. He knows this isn't happening. So I find that explanation fairly plausible. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, and once again, it sort of gets to the to the re-election motive. I mean, just to sort of mm-hmm. dovetail off of that, you know. Basically, the closer you get to the election, the less you Congress people want to do something big because it endangers their right. re-election chances. Right. So even if he's not running, I mean, he's got to persuade all the other Republicans right. and they're not going with that. And so, and so that's and so that's one explanation. One explanation mm-hmm. is just to say this is Ryan essentially throwing his hands up. And once again, once you're throwing your hands up and saying I don't care, then you don't care about the rest of the Republicans. Your incentives, um, your incentive structure has drastically changed in well, terms let, of. Let me ask you about that incentive structure then. So, we've had um, Chain of Fools, we've had Unchained Melody, we've had Django Unchained. Now we have. <laughs> do, will we have? Will we have Ryan Unchained? Uh, will yeah. Paul Ryan? now be a different kind of actor uh, for these last eight months of his speakership. And, and I'll add to that question, does... A sp- you have another Unchained joke? No. Okay. no. <laughs> um, but but does, does a, a, a lame duck speaker, in some senses, I mean, he's freed because he doesn't have to worry about what he, how, he, how what he does will, um, will impact the electorate for himself, but at the same time, is he looked at as somebody who's? I mean, does he have any real power to sort of bring whip people together because he's on his way out? Right. I mean, so has he has he stripped himself of some power that way? No, I think that's very that's a very good insightful <laughs> uh, thing to think about, and I think the answer is pretty definitely no. Right. He's definitely lost a substantial no- amount of his power, um, but I think that gets back to. Paul Ryan, you know, sort of if you were to sort of corner Mm -hmm. him and get him to be honest, he would say he didn't have it anyway. And I think that leads Mm. to sort of the second step to this, right, which is just to say that the Republicans have been extremely fractured. Um, You essentially have um, at least at least two, but probably more like three or four different Mm -hmm. groups within the Republicans. Mm -hmm. Each of them have very different priorities and they have essentially refused to work together on anything except for the tax reform. And even that was a close call. So um, just to break that down for our listeners, yeah, yeah. Um, social conservative evangelical Christians, yep, libertarian Rand Paul types, 
Yep, and those are generally yeah. lumped under what, what is referred to as the Freedom Caucus. Okay. So if you think about the Freedom Caucus in the House, these are people who are drastically and who have basically stated that they want to vote as a block to try to prevent bills that uh, they think goes against a fairly stringent libertarian line. Uh, big business economic moderates. Yep. Um, Tea Party? Or is that the Freedom Caucus? <sighs> the Tea Party kind of straddles the social conservatives and the... Um, and the Freedom Caucus. It, it's sort of the, the Tea Party, while it is a real movement, um, is, 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 is a little bit mushy in terms of exactly <laughs> what, it, uh, what it stands for. Does that verge into Trumpian populists? Uh, now this is where it gets tricky because Trumpian populists are very much definitely at odds um, mm-hmm. with the libertarian line. Sure. Okay. So, and this is where I think a lot of times um, people who are Tea Party folks actually feel pretty conflicted. Because on the one hand, the Tea Party was sort of seen as the outsiders. Um, you know, they viewed themselves as the outsiders to American politics. They were the people who wanted to agitate for more, um, you know, for basically they, they were the small government. So that was sort mm-hmm. of the slogan. Um, it's not clear at all that Trumpian populists are necessarily agitating for small government. Um, Trumpian populists are in favor of, for example, you know, a much vaster military. Um, Trumpian populists are very explicitly in favor of maintaining, if not expanding, the social safety net, particularly for the mm-hmm. elderly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and also are in favor of, you know, very uh, a lot more sort of patrolling in terms of trying to find... Um, those who who are in America, who are undocumented in America. I mean, right. all of these are fairly large, um, under or building a wall for that matter. I mean, all of these are, you know, these are all these are not small government priorities um, okay. uh, in the least. And so I think there's also a tension there, um, and that's maybe not quite as manifest in the House yet. You don't necessarily see. Um, uh, uh, you know, a Trumpkin caucus or whatever, <laughs> whatever it would be. Um, but you know, but they, it would seem that that the anyone with those kinds of priorities would would be at odds in some ways, even right. with some of these other groups. I mean, they would be at odds with the Freedom Caucus. They would certainly mm-hmm. be at mm-hmm. odds with the business right. um, moderates, and uh, yeah. they wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with evangelical um, Christians to some degree. Okay. So mm-hmm. all that is to say, there are. These, these, these different factions, and in fact, the presence of these different factions is the reason Paul Ryan himself stated he did not want to be speaker. Um, he essentially, when he took this job, um, and I do, I, I actually do think there was some genuineness to his reluctance to take the speakership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not so much because he somehow, you know, it's not because he's George Washington and just sort of wants to, you know, release power. Or, you know, it's not because he was necessarily noble, although he might be. I mean, he does seem like mm-hmm. a relatively moral person. Um I think it is specifically because I think he sort of he could see what was happening in the house and could see that it was virtually impossible to actually get something done as speaker and he didn't want to necessarily be the one to have to try to wrestle this impossible situation. He didn't want to have to be the one trying to herd cats. Sure, and, right. Um right. and essentially that's that's been the outcome. I mean he hasn't been able to accomplish um an enormous amount. Right. So all so, that is to say, um on the one hand, does it free Paul Ryan? Maybe and maybe and we'll probably want to come back to that in a second, but um, on the other hand, it also, I think, to Sam's point, I think this is absolutely right, uh, it's going to very much limit um, his ability to basically be the leader of the House, right. um, which, uh, you know, as we've already noted, his leadership there was probably going to be pretty limited anyway, yeah. um, but but that's, that's a pretty sub- significant concession, I mean, to basically mm-hmm. say, I mean, just to get back to sort of the incentive, right, one of the incentives that the Speaker wields over their fellow members, and one of the ways that they can try to get uh, their fellow Congress people to cooperate with them is actually through the fundraising role. Right. So the speaker, one of the ways the speakers cajoles people to vote for important bills is they say, look, 
we, I know this isn't popular with your constituents, but if you vote with the majority, if you'll vote with us um, so we can get this bill passed, I will show up in your district two or three times and do fundraising and do speeches and et cetera. And that's one of the right. weapons that mm-hmm. the speaker has to try to help their help get their members to vote with them. But now that he's not going to be speaker anymore, that's a pretty empty promise. Um, right. So that kind of power is um, kind of drained away from from him. Now I don't know how the how the the House works. Could the Republicans replace him as Speaker so they have someone in that role for the next eight months? Uh, in principle, yes. yes. So there's no so you know the rules basically are that the that uh, you know the House can can vote on a new Speaker at any time. They could they could put up someone else. In practice, uh, no. Um, the, for, for one thing, you would have to get a majority. Basically, the way that ma- the Speaker is elected is you have to get a majority of the House to elect the Speaker, and um, there is. Basically, we might want to talk about this briefly uh, in a little bit, but right now it's not even entirely clear who the Republicans, should they maintain a majority um, in the next Congress, who they will make the speaker. Um, That was a pretty serious fight last time. Mm -hmm. And Paul Ryan was sort of seen as the one lone person who could unite the Republicans. Yep. Um, And and that seems to have proven correct. Um, And now that he's gone, it's not at all clear um, who else is there? So, so you might not want to have an ugly fight like that no. right before an election, right, exactly. Because okay. <laughs> no. once again, the re-election motive is the is sort of the guiding. Yeah, it's going to be messy enough having the jockeying going on for who's going to replace him as Republican leader and potentially as Speaker. Um, you don't want to try to yeah. do the whole thing because I mean it is it is seriously possible you could fail to agree because you know if you agree on the leader of the the party in the House is pretty simple. You just have votes and whoever gets the majority can get that so nancy pelosi just has to get a majority of her caucus and she will retain support but as mitch pointed out winning the speakership is a majority of the house which means almost all your party has to be behind you mm-hmm. because you're obviously not going to have democrats casting a vote for you know kevin mccarthy or stephen scalise who are the two pos- you know most mentioned options right so you need almost all republicans behind them and it's it's not clear that would happen right now mm-hmm. yeah. um, okay it's messy. let's let's pause right there for a second and uh, really quickly, uh, tell us about Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise, Professor Bramson. As you take a sip from oh, your, I don't Nixon, have a ton. Your Nixon library, <laughs> Richard <laughs> Nixon, my carefully chosen Richard Nixon mug. Um, so, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about them. McCarthy is from California. Scalise is from uh, Louisiana. I think you know McCarthy's seen as sort of the establishment kind of business type wing of the party. Yep. Um, he was widely thought to be the likely successor to John Boehner, and then withdrew his name um, yep. under. Circumstances, I think, are still a bit mysterious. I mean, like, he couldn't command a majority, it seemed, but it was a little unclear. So he seems like he wants to take another crack at it, whether he can succeed more this time, I don't know. Scalise seems more, like, in keeping with the, I don't know, more of the traditional conservatives in the, in the party. But, again, I just, you know, it's not clear to me that he can unite the party. The early rumors are he would defer to McCarthy, but then it's not sure if McCarthy will actually be able to command a majority. So, uh, okay. and, and, again, it's not sure what the Freedom Caucus wants to do. They've not necessarily been fans of either of them so um, so let, we'll let's see. consider two scenarios here and this is an emergency podcast we're going to keep this tight but in, in both circumstances paul ryan's going to serve out his speakership mm-hmm. uh until the midterm elections and That's then likely. the republicans will reckon with what's left after the midterm elections scenario one republicans hold on to the house uh i assume then we'll enter into a game of thrones style battle for the <laughs> iron throne right right Pretty much. Um, it's a War with, of Five Kings situation. Really, really, just about that, um, with roughly five different uh, key groups jockeying for uh, a speaker who most fits their needs. Mm-hmm. 
could be McCarthy, could be Scalise, could be someone from the Freedom Caucus, could be something yeah. else. And yep. assuredly, if Donald Trump uh, um, is president, as we have come to expect him to be, uh, he will be playing an active and vociferous role in the selection of the Republicans' yes. uh, choice of Speaker for the House. Um, in all violation of separation of powers. Anyway, um, <laughs> the other option, is, well, the other scenario is that uh, Republicans lose control of the House, that there's a, a Democratic wave that mm-hmm. swings the, the vote. In that case, the likeliest Speaker of the House is Nancy Pelosi, right? Uh, who sure. is unlikely, I think, to lose control of the Democratic Party in the House. Yeah. Yeah. But then the Republicans need to pick a minority leader. Uh, and, and, and that... Does that does the choice process for picking a minority leader differ substantially from the choice process for picking a speaker of the house? Yes. Yes. It's much lower stress. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's easier on two counts. It's easier institutionally, and I think Andy already mentioned yeah. this. Um, just because you only need a majority of your own caucus to become minority leader, so you don't need a full majority of the house, which means you don't need your entire. Party so does that change agree. their strategy then? Um. It would change. It would change the strategy of the people seeking that office for sure, okay. um, just because they would no longer need to appeal to the entire Republican um, party in Congress. They just could just appeal to yeah, as long as they get right. the majority, then they're good. So we could end up. Here's a here's a thought. So yeah. if a speaker, if Republicans hold on to the House, they need a speaker who's going to get almost every Republican right. to support them. Right. On the other hand. If they lose the House, they might end up getting a speaker which is much more radical in some direction because they only need 50 percent of Republicans to actually support their candidacy. So we could end up with a much more radical Republican leader if Republicans lose. Is that fair? Uh, Yes, it could. And uh, on the other hand, it could cut the other direction, too. We could end up with a much more moderate um, choice than, than, than a number of folks are comfortable with. Um, when I say would, radical or moderate, what I mean by that is um, uh, within uh, any p- any person who deviates from the from the mean or the modal Republican in the co- in Congress. Yeah, I would, yeah, I, I would go with more of the moderate side, just because I think, like thinking about the the people that are being mentioned, right? I think I'm I'm a little skeptical of McCarthy's ability to command enough votes for the speakership, just based on the fact that he really obviously wanted to do that in 2015 and couldn't. So I'm not sure what's changed in his favor in you know three years. Um, but I'm pretty optimistic in, uh, about his ability to command a majority of the caucus, um, based on the fact that they have, in fact, elected him as majority leader, right? And so um, so I, I would actually feel like there's a very good chance McCarthy could, in fact, become Republican leader, minority leader, in 2019, but I'm not as sure he can become speaker, if that makes sense. But so, and he's... I mean, McCarthy's not a moderate in a traditional sense, right? But but in the Republican House caucus today, I would say he's probably more toward the moderate. He's more side. mainstream. More mainstream, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So well, the other thing to think about, and I think uh, you, saw, you, you, you raised this as well, um, and that some folks are speculating on it's being Ryan's other reason for leaving, and perhaps part of part of related to this mm-hmm. is just uh, Ryan has also been clearly, in addition to the fact that he may be just sort of throwing his hands up and saying I give up, um, and in addition to the fact that he is a family man, maybe he actually does care about his kids. 
Maybe. Might actually want to spend time with his family. Might actually I, want to I mean, spend I actually am family. not as skeptical about that with Ryan I, I, as yeah. I am with most people. Like, yes, when most people say... He's said that for years. He, right. Like, this is yeah. hard. It's hard being away. Yeah. Like, it's a consistent narrative with right. him, actually. It is a consistent narrative. And actually, he the one other piece of evidence to say that this isn't just smoke for him, which it is for like 99.9% yeah. of other people when they say they want to spend time with their family. They don't care about their families. Um, but uh, <laughs> It reminds me of my all, one of my all-time favorite Onion headlines, which is a sports headline, which is Tom Coughlin retires from family to spend more time with Giants. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but at any rate, uh, in, in, in his defense, he actually, when Ryan was originally elected, he actually said that he wasn't going to engage in the normal fundraising right. of a speaker, be, specifically because he said it takes too much time away from my yeah. family. And he initially tried to be speaker without being a fundraiser. Mm. Um, now, of course, as we just talked about, being a fundraiser is one of the great wells of power yep. um, for the speaker. And so he quickly realized that in order to be an effective speaker, you have to do the fundraising. Um, and so he gave up on that, but he did initially try. And so that he yeah. seems sincere yeah. about that. Yep. So I actually do, I agree with Andy, like this, this seems sincere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, but leaving those two things aside, leaving aside, you know, sort of the throwing the hands up and giving up and the, um, you know, the genuine desire to be with his family um, is also the question of Paul Ryan has clearly become much more uncomfortable um, in the Republican Party since Trump's election. Yeah. Um, he was uncomfortable during the campaign. He actually a number of times, um, unlike others, he was actually on occasion willing to speak out against the president. So, for example, um, when the president was criticizing uh, the judge who had ruled against him in Trump University, uh, Paul Ryan specifically right. said that he felt Trump's comments were textbook racism. Right. Um, he felt that they were the textbook definition of racism. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and and he'd had and he had made he's made additional comments um, uh, along the way as well. Although he became more reserved as the election drew closer right. and closer, and he's been reserved since um, mm -hmm. since then. But with that said, one of the things to, to wonder about is if Paul Ryan, part of the reason for uh, signaling his retirement now uh, is to simply let, um, either to let the White House know mm -hmm. or even to directly signal that he will no longer be, uh, in this sense, sort of carrying water um, mm -hmm. for Trump. He will mm -hmm. no longer be somebody who will be assisting him um, or covering his back in, in the sense of, you know, uh, you know, allowing, you know, or, or even in, to some degree encouraging yep. the House from not pursuing um, laws and actions that that uh, that might take a harder line on Trump mm -hmm. and to certainly mm -hmm. signal that the House um, and the way that he might lead the House would not necessarily be would, would certainly not be friendly to firing the special counsel. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's where I was trying to get at with that question about, I mean, like, is this connected to the rest of this week? Because there's a part of me that wonders, like, is was Paul Ryan's just sitting there going back and forth on. Do I retire now? It's more or make make that statement. I'm going to retire now. It's more honest, better for my constituency, right? In some ways, but or, or do I try to hold on to that power and have a little more influence, which might help at the margins, right? And I just kind of wonder, like, I mean, was this a factor in pushing him over the edge and saying, I need to be ready to just have my hands free to stand up to the president if, in fact, you know, he's going to do this? Because I think the Mueller thing is very concerning to people in Congress and. Yeah. And it's not just the usual suspects, the Lindsey Grahams and the John McCain's, right? I mean, even like Tom Tillis of um, North Carolina, who's a pretty hardcore conservative, right, was signing on as a co-sponsor of um, the, you know, the bill to try to protect Mueller. So, I mean, like there's there's a lot of concern in the legislative branch. And, you know, we talked about that on this podcast a few weeks back. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I just wonder if that, that was part of like the final factor. It's like, OK, let's go ahead and do this and get that out there so that I can, you know, have that that cleared off and then I can focus on, on being ready for whatever, mm -hmm. whatever lies ahead. <laughs> we'll see what the president does. Yeah. Well guys, that's an emergency podcast and we're going to keep this short. 
before we wrap, sign off, though, I just want to take a minute here and acknowledge something uh, which is causing all of our hearts to be heavy uh, here at Bethel. Um, I started at Bethel in 2008, and one of the people who came in the same year as I did was a um, brilliant neuroscientist mm-hmm. named Adam Johnson. Uh, Adam Johnson has been a guest on this podcast before, has talked to us about uh, voting behavior and how people perceive and remember um, and process mm-hmm. information. Um, Adam died yesterday. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer in 2010. He was declared to be terminal um, in 2012, and in spite of that diagnosis, continued to live and work and teach uh, for uh, six additional years. Mm-hmm. And his um, in, in that time, also uh, married one of our colleagues, Carrie Peffley, and um, we will miss him terribly. Um, he was a brilliant man who did work on memory and, and uh, made uh, significant innovations in his field uh, by showing that, um, that rats think ahead um, <laughs> as they navigate mm-hmm. mazes and imagine what uh, future turns in mazes will be like and was considered revolutionary in, his, mm-hmm. in the field of memory and cognition. Uh, he was a delightful friend, funny, warm, and ener- incredibly energetic, uh, and incredibly encouraging to both his colleagues and his students. It was a wonderful mentor. Uh, we will miss him, but we know he is whole, and we look forward to seeing him again. Amen. Go Royals. <laughs>